It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the Car Doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. So a couple couple things, and we are going to be talking with, in just a little bit, we are going to be talking with Alan Schaefer. He's the executive director of the Diesel Forum. And so what do you think is going on with diesels? Are they, are they going to be around for a while? I think they are. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that. Also, uh, some of the recall information is in the news, including my own poor little 10-year-old car has been recalled. So uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about that recall and some of the some of the others as well um, that have that have recently been recalled. So we'll talk about those. So we have we have quite a bit to talk about this morning, and uh, we are going to be doing trivia. So if you like trivia, we are going to do that. Uh, Ford Mustang for 2018 is going to be freshened up a little bit, and they're going to drop the V6 engine. Ford is making a mid-cycle change in the Mustang in an effort to stay on top of the sales of its uh, little pony car. The biggest change is part of the 2016 model freshening comes under the hood. When Ford is dropping the 3.7-liter V6 engine, cosmetically, the, the Mustang gets a more aggressive look, an update, uh, updated inspired hood uh, and grill. The company's dropping the V6, which officials say accounts for roughly 15 to 20 percent of the sales, in favor of the 2.3 liter EcoBoost, which is kind of funny because I think that's truly a uh, something to do with fuel economy because the V6 makes about 300 horsepower. Uh, the 5 liter, of course, makes a lot more than that. The 2.3 liter EcoBoost does pretty well. But the gas mileage numbers are higher, although it was my understanding that engine has not been performing, not not that it hasn't been performing, it's actually a pretty good performer, but it hasn't been selling that well. So Ford in 2015 took the Mustang Global and now sells it in 140 company, countries and will expand that to a few more in 2018. Customers will be able to choose from a dozen alloy wheel designs. The car will come in three new colors, including a uh, this orange Fury color. The V8 has been upgraded, includes direct injection, port fuel injection, which will increase fuel efficiency and horsepower ratings. Ford also said the EcoBoost will have increased torque. Ford's updating the Mustang technology with uh, Sync Connect and, and Ford uh, pass a feature that lets drivers start, unlock, lock, and locate their cars using their smartphones. For the first time on a Mustang, the 2018 model will also feature pre-collision assist, pedestrian detection, and distance alert, lane departure warning. So all of the safety features that we're starting to see in many, many cars today, uh, you know, unusual you'd see it in sort of a sports car, but it's something that we're, that we're seeing. Well, you know, we look at we look at. I was just talking about the Ford EcoBoost uh, four-cylinder engine. Fuel economy is still hot in the news, and with everything that's happened with Volkswagen, a lot of people think, well, maybe diesels are not that popular anymore. But in fact, diesels have become very popular. We're seeing more and more diesel engines and more vehicles. And with us on the phone is Alan. 
Schaefer. He's the executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum. Alan, good morning, and welcome to the Car Doctor program. Hey, good morning, John. Thanks for having us. So, uh, in my opinion, you know, some people think, oh, diesels are dead again. In fact, not even close, right? Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, after the uh, the incident with Volkswagen, um, that's really one issue with one company. And what we're seeing now is uh, new product announcements by manufacturers. And that's really the best indication of their commitment to clean diesel in the marketplace and bringing more choices for consumers. And uh, there was a lot at the... Um Washington, at the Washington Auto Show, uh, diesels were a big part of the show, right? There, there were a number of uh, diesels on display there. I think the big news so far this year really is that the Ford is going to bring a diesel engine option in the F-150, and that is important for a number of reasons. Uh, that vehicle, as Ford tells us a lot, is the number one selling vehicle in America for 40 years, and the fact that they're bringing a diesel engine option in that vehicle says volumes about their confidence in clean diesel and the role that they see in that for their customers down the road. So that's coming in 2018. And so far this year, General Motors has been out with announcements about their new uh, Chevrolet Cruze uh, turbo diesel and both the sedan and hatchback forms. The Equinox uh, crossover small SUV will have one. And then uh, just a few weeks ago, they announced that the GMC, uh, the Terrain, uh, new Terrain would have a diesel engine option next year. Uh, that Mazda bringing their CX-5 with the diesel and the Skyactiv-D, consumers are going to have really uh, an interesting array of new choices uh, for clean diesel cars in not too many months. And I've always said back in the turn of the last century, back in the 1900s, uh, when somebody went to go buy a car, it could be powered by gasoline, it could be powered by batteries, it could be powered by uh, steam, it could be powered by, I don't know, wood chips, but it could also be powered by diesel. Do you really think the future of auto manufacturing is just going to be a lot of choices for what makes the car go? Well, I, I mean, there's, we're certainly in that period now. There will definitely be, a, uh, I think, a reckoning on power plants and, and powertrains somewhere down the road. And you sort of see it shaping up along kind of lifestyle and mobility choices. And for people in urban areas, um, and you'll see, I think, a lot of interest in electrification because that's where it makes the most sense, most cost-effective, and you start to see some of the autonomous features in, in vehicles and self-driving cars and that sort of thing uh, coming out in that uh, same vein. But for a large portion of Americans, that uh, those kinds of vehicles just won't be suitable. I mean, mm-hmm. people will still need their, their vehicle size, their utility, um, and need a fuel-efficient technology, and maybe one they can even use some renewable, uh, low-carbon, clean diesel fuels in. So um, we see diesel as, as fitting in uh, very well in the future, and it's going to be in primarily the, uh, the, the larger vehicles, the SUVs, pickup trucks. That's really where the sweet spot is right now. But we do have some, some new and exciting interest in the, in the lower end, the smaller engines and sedans. And uh, Chevrolet is, is talking and rumors are circulating about that, that car, the Chevrolet Cruze, getting over 50 miles a gallon. So that could be a real game changer mm. for how we think about fuel efficiency. And it was, um, you know, you look at diesel, diesel's sort of a premium technology, and hybrid is a premium technology. Every once in a while there's rumors that maybe a hybrid diesel. Do you think we'll ever see that? 
I, you know, I, I think we will see features um, of hybridization and electric motor costs are coming down dramatically. It's a much more of a commodity kind of technology. So you can see that easily kind of being plugged into some diesels. Um, it does add cost to the thing, but, you know, here, here's the thing, as you point out, um, fuel economy uh, costs no matter how you get it, whether you're getting it from batteries, advanced gasoline, advanced diesel, there's always a premium cost involved. So, um, you know, I think consumers are going to have to be on their toes looking at what they're paying for and what they're getting. But um, that's the wave of the future. It really is. And you look at, like you said, you look at what Mazda's thinking about doing. You look at what could be uh, engine engine design, you know, where we're seeing diesels. I'm old enough to remember a diesel Chevette, you know, from, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so we took a little tiny car and put a little tiny uh, European uh, or I think it was a European diesel engine in it. Um, And, you know, and it was, you know, people kind of laughed at it because it was a small car with a diesel, but it got phenomenally good fuel economy. But today's diesels, um, you know, even with with everything that happened with Volkswagen, today's diesels compared to, you know, if somebody remembers whether it was a, whether it was a Mercedes, you know, 240D or a Mercedes turbo diesel from a bunch of years ago or something as bad as what GM tried to do with the gasoline diesel conversions or this diesel Chevette, today's diesels are quiet, they're fuel efficient, they don't smell, they start up right away. They're, they're, diesel diesel is, a, is a 21st century design now that works all the time, right? It, it, it really is. And when you think about, you know, what we need going forward in terms of, bigger fuel efficiency, and diesels are about 30% more efficient than a comparable gasoline. And folks are more interested in longer-term investments and reliable things that they know are going to be able to, to get the job done, not just today, but, you know, five, seven, ten years from now. So diesel's got that, that strong reliability down the road. And, you know, I, I do believe that you'll see more interest in using um, renewable fuels. For some people, that's going to be you know, a, a great option to use B20, 20% blends of biofuels mm-hmm. in their vehicles. And uh, 20 of uh, uh, GM will have 20 different products that are um, certified at the B20 level. So that begins um, uh, gets to be a really interesting option for folks that want to do something even greener um, than just the basic mm. Yeah, and, and I suppose it would be the same way. I haven't, I don't know that I've seen biodiesel much for sale here on the east coast but i know i was looking at heating oil prices the other day and somebody had bio uh heating oil and it was about 20 cents per gallon cheaper than conventional heating oil and i assume that with um incentives biodiesel would probably be the same way it, you know it's, it's an issue of uh, really supply and demand right now i think last year was about uh, a year of about three billion gallons produced in the u.s and Depending on where you are, you may have close access to those fueling stations or, or may not see one for a way. So there's definitely going to be growth in that in that area, and price is a big component. Mm-hmm. Um, on the diesel fuel price side, you know, right now we do have um, a little bit of a premium, uh, ranging from about 10 to 20 couple cents a gallon nationwide. But, you know, as you compare that to gasoline, just keep in mind that you're, you're getting more miles per gallon uh, for that investment. So, um, and I, I guess I would also say... You know, in the wake of, of whatever happened with Volkswagen and their, their choices on diesel, um, last year, uh, despite all that, we made up 20% of the market share that Volkswagen had from other models. Mm. So people, people did not walk away from 
the diesel choice. They kept coming, and uh, I would expect in the next year or two um, we'll, we'll erase that, uh, that part of the market that, that Volkswagen had, and that will be uh, subsumed by other companies. And mm. Chevrolet will take a big piece of that. Um, uh, FCA with their great Ram 1500 Eco Diesel, Grand Cherokee, those will be good vehicles as well. Mm. I've driven both the Grand Cherokee and the the uh, Ram 1500, both with the diesel engine, and they were phenomenal vehicles to the point where, uh, it, especially it was the the Grand Cherokee because it's essentially a, a luxury SUV. You could get oh. you could get in it, start it up, and you would never you would never know it was a diesel. Yeah, and you know people um, that buy diesels. I mean, there's a certain folks that. We might stereotype as that, I mean, folks that have um, a lot of interest in, in efficiency and, and long-term investment and folks that like to have, um, you know, the reliability aspect of a diesel and, and maybe not having to stop for fuel as often. Because a number of these cars and SUVs have refueling ranges that are in the six and 700-mile category. So, you know, instead of stopping once a week for, for fuel, um, maybe it's once every two weeks or even longer. So... Those little features start to come into perspective when you're, you know, thinking about your next car. And uh, I would, I would encourage folks to, to keep the diesel option on the list. Um, it, it does going to provide a great, uh, a great mix of, of unique features that you're not going to be able to get in, in a hybrid or, or battery electric. And um, the world's going to be full of all these kind mm. of clean and efficient technologies. So um, keep that uh, clean diesel on the list. Yeah, and you you mentioned fuel a couple times, and and you know Phillips and so forth. The diesel infrastructure is already there, as opposed to I uh, you know compressed natural gas is a is a great product. It it's clean, it's efficient, it's a quick refill. I, I'm hard pressed to find you know three CNG stations on my hundred mile commute round trip back and forth to work. Uh, you can find diesel stations everywhere. I'm hard-pressed to find a level 3 charging station you know, on my, on my trip back and forth to work. They just don't really exist. But there's diesel pumps everywhere. There, there is. And that, um, today, um, about 55% of all the 120,000 or so service stations in the U.S. have at least one diesel pump, and, and many have more than one. And what you're seeing is kind of a global shift. Um, gasoline has long been the primary fuel of transportation. Um, ExxonMobil and others predict that by 2030, um, diesel will replace gasoline as the number one global transport fuel. So the reaction to that in the U.S. is that convenience stores, um, service stations are all putting in diesel pumps because they recognize that that's a whole new market that they haven't previously tapped. So the fueling issue is not going to – it really has not been a problem, but for those that were a little skeptical, it's, it's even less of an issue in the future. Um, so that's, uh, that's definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah, and you look at cars you, cars like Jaguar Land Rover. I drove the uh, Jaguar XE with the 2-liter diesel engine in it. What a phenomenal car. These are uh, – you know, they're, they're, they're cars that are fun to drive. They have a lot of low-end torque, so they have uh, great get-up-and-go. And – um you know, when you start looking at the, the eco data coming out of your dashboard, um, when you're, you know, purring along at 55, 65, uh, steady state, you know, you're watching the, uh, the fuel economy just tick up there, upper, mid, upper 30s, um, and, you know, people are 
you know, not not ashamed to talk about pushing it well beyond forty for some of yep. the vehicles. That's, yep. that's some fancy driving, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, possible. And well, and just to clarify, if you see, uh, you know, whether it's a pickup truck or uh, a you know diesel bus or something going down the road and it's spewing out black smoke, it's broken. There, it diesels broken. diesels don't do that. <laughs> they don't do that, and and you know, and some people have, uh, and some of the. Some of our diesel enthusiasts have gotten too enthusiastic with their diesel engines and made modifications to performance and uh, overfueling and, and other things that you know deliver that black smoke on demand. And that that is that's something that's something we would really rather not see. Um, but it's really the, the diesels have been near zero emissions for particulate since 2007 and um, reduced smog forming compounds like NOx by over 90 percent starting in. 2010. So, very clean, low emission technology. Mm. And part of part of the key to diesel uh, diesel sales and use in the United States was ultra low sulfur diesel. Uh, so, diesel that that is diesel fuel that is cleaner than fuel used to be. Um, are there further improvements to diesel fuel coming? Do you know? I think one of the uh, one of the things we're starting and and the ultra low sulfur fuel mandate was. Uh, really a directive from EPA to enable these cars to meet these very low emission standards. What we're seeing now is something that's coming from the market, and that is uh, refiners uh, offering higher cetane um, at the pump. So you'll, the minimum requirement is 40 for ultra-low sulfur mm-hmm. diesel fuel, but uh, I'm seeing uh, a number of uh, retailers um, posting you know, 50 cetane diesel, um, which for people that are driving <clears throat> excuse me, passenger cars, a 50 cetane means that the car would start probably a little bit sharper, and its its combustion efficiency would be increased a bit. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you would probably um, make you really could notice some changes in performance. Um, and so I think that's where we'll see some next changes in, in fuel. Mm-hmm. That and you know greater availability of renewable fuels like uh, like biodiesel. Mm. So just like on the gasoline side, where the vehicle manufacturers would like to see higher octane fuels, which would translate into more power and higher fuel efficiency, although kind of a, a negative with consumers, this higher cetane fuel will even give diesels more performance options and and uh, and other enhancements. That's right. And I think it's, you know, like I said, right now it's, it's really a marketing issue for mm-hmm. the retailers. It's not required by federal law or any state law. So um, it, it is sort of a premium grade of, uh, of diesel. Um, so, and I think as people look at the fuel part of all this, you know, keep in mind that uh, often if you're comparing two cars um, and, and one is a diesel option and the gasoline engine requires a premium grade of gasoline, you need to keep that in mind as you do your comparison because, you know, that, that luxury car, you know, might say, well, why would I ever buy a diesel in that? And then you find out you've got to use premium gasoline, and that is typically 30, 40 cents more mm. gallon than regular unleaded. So then you need to look at the comparison between the diesel option of that car compared to the premium gasoline option, and you find that the diesel often comes out ahead um, in that case, especially if you're keeping the car for a long time. So... Um, those are some important comparisons to make. No, absolutely a good point because up here, you know, we're in the Boston area, we're seeing 
you know, regular gasoline at probably 225 a gallon. We're seeing uh, diesel at probably closer to 245, and we're seeing premium in a lot of cases at at 255, 265. So we're seeing we're seeing these prices that are that are certainly on the premium side higher than what diesel is. And then you think of the fuel economy, power, and performance you get from a diesel engine just makes it that much more attractive. Absolutely. And, you know, that is the, the thing for consumers that are doing these comparison shopping is looking at the, the long-term issues, the near-term fuel costs, the capital premium cost on the diesel over other things compared to a hybrid, um, et cetera. So um, I think we're seeing much smarter folks buying cars these days. And there's just, you know, right now there's about 28 diesel choices out there, and that's a lot of passenger vans and pickup trucks and some luxury sedans. But um, we're going to see more in that space for sure. Um, this year, the, the Colorado um, GMC um, Canyon and the Chevy Colorado, those uh, compact pickup trucks have been selling as fast as they can mm. hit the lot, and that's uh, the most fuel-efficient uh, pickup truck in America with a little Duramax diesel engine, and uh, dealers say that they, they sell those as soon as they hit the lot. So that's the sweet spot, I think, going forward for uh, for diesel, which is the, the little bit bigger vehicle, SUV, pickup truck, larger sedans, where weight is an issue. And, you know, we still have these future fuel economy and emission requirements to meet. Nothing has changed mm-hmm. with that yet. And I think, you know, realistically, um, there might be some tweaking to that, but it's hard to see, um, you know, how that changes uh, so dramatically that that folks would not be interested in, in, in diesels in the future. Um, so we're pretty confident that, um you know, whatever happens with regulations, the new administration, whatever, um, mm. this is the great thing about diesel is it's got staying power. You know, it's something that's going to be around because our freight system and goods movement relies on it, so the fuel is always going to be there. And uh, now we've got these really advanced clean cars that are super fuel efficient, can compete right along with hybrids, plug-in hybrids, you know, you name it. Yeah. So. A lot of choices. Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're right. You know, looking back, you know, with the ex- with the exception of you know Volkswagen with the Golf and Jetta, and, and you know a lot of a lot of people who kind of do what I do would tell people, you know, if you're going to go out and buy a car, there's you know something like a a, a five door Golf hatchback or. You know, if you're able to afford it, a BMW wagon with a diesel, with a stick shift, there's almost no more fun than that. But really, it sounds like uh, the diesel engine is the perfect replacement, you know, like you said, the, the, the half-ton pickup truck. But as I'm looking out in the parking lot here, I see um, as many SUVs as I see cars, and the SUV sounds like a perfect place to put a diesel engine where when you want to tow that boat when you want to tow that horse trailer you're able to do it because you have the torque you're able to get the fuel economy when you want it and uh the rest of the time it drives like any other car and maybe a little bit more fun sometimes you know that's that's exactly it and you you see that reflected in this year's you know announcements that came out of the auto shows so far and that's the you know these crossovers the equinox the gmc terrain the mazda mm. sky active CX-5, that's really where manufacturers are, are uh, putting their, uh, their energy into the market. And they want to make sure that they can keep giving that uh, vehicle that consumers really want, and that's the hot segment, um, without any compromises on things like, um, you know, size, performance, utility towing packages. Some people care about that. Others don't. But, um, you know, the diesel keeps the manufacturer in the game for all those things. Yeah. So, 
that's, yeah. a, that's a good place to be. Yeah, you're right. You know, whether you're whether you see the SUV towing the boat or whether you see the SUV with the single single driver and no one else in it, uh, diesel engine seems like it could be a good fit for either one of those uh, options. Whether you're you're just somebody who likes a big vehicle around you or whether you actually need it to do do its job, uh, the diesel seems seems good. So uh, so I guess uh, really the the future for diesels are is pretty bright right now. It is, and I would just you know encourage listeners to. I know there's been a lot of news about um, Volkswagen and their diesel gate, as it's called, um, but that you know that's really in the in the rearview mirror now um, in terms of its its impact on people's thinking about diesel. And manufacturers have made some very strong commitments to continuing to provide these new and advanced clean vehicles in the future. And to me, that's the biggest indicator mm. of the future of this technology. When the F-150 has a diesel engine option, when, you know, five, six, seven, eight of General Motors products offer diesel engine options, you know, when the, the German luxury makers retain their commitment to diesel, even as they pour tremendous amounts of money into electrification of vehicles, um, it says something. And what it says is that this is a, a really important technology for the future. And so it's, it's something that folks can invest in with confidence today. No, it, sound, it sounds good. If people want more information about diesel products and vehicles, where can they go? We have a, uh, a website that has a diesel drivers section on it, and it's uh, www.dieselforum.org. And so dieselforum.org, you can go there and poke around and see what's there and learn more about diesels and uh, why a diesel might be the right vehicle for you. Absolutely. Alan, thank you for taking some time out of your Saturday morning to join us up here in Boston. Thanks very much, John. You have a great day. You as well. Bye-bye. Uh, Alan Schaefer, Executive Director of the Diesel Forum. Uh, do, do diesels have a future? I think they do. I think, uh, you know, diesels, diesels are fun to drive. They're, they're, they're fuel efficient. Yeah, Volkswagen lied. Uh, but uh, the, you know, would I drive a golf sport wagon with a diesel in it? I, I, the ones I drove, I really liked. Uh, I one of the other vehicles I liked even more was the Audi A3 with the diesel in it, only because it was. I found the seats more comfortable. I found the the car just uh, a little bit nicer inside, just all the way around. So it was it was a good vehicle. Why don't we take a break, pay some bills? When we come back, we're going to do a little bit of trivia. Then a little bit after that, we're going to be talking about the car that got me here today, and also we want to hear from you at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. Honda Cars of Boston is Greater Boston's neighborhood Honda dealer with over 800 new Hondas available to choose from. Just five minutes from Boston on Route 99 in Everett, our beautiful new showroom makes your Honda Cars of Boston experience even better. Visit online at hondacarsofboston.com and see all of our tremendous purchase, lease, finance, and certified pre-owned specials. Honda Cars of Boston on Route 99 in Everett is the place for great buys from the Honda guys. 
Give them a call at 1-800-65-HONDA. Don't you just hate the hassle of car buying? Make it easy by finding your financing first. Hi, I'm Kevin Chapman. As a member of the City of Boston Credit Union for over two decades, I know that they always put their members first with some of the most competitive car rates around. You can figure out what you want to spend before you even go shopping. Come visit the City of Boston Credit Union at cityofbostoncu.com and apply today. Or call 617-635-4545. City of Boston Credit Union. Uniquely Boston. Equal opportunity lender. Hey, I'm Brant. So there's this guy named Jordan. He's a healthy guy. He's a dad of six, and he works as a guide in Alaska. And he goes to the doctor. True story. He goes to the doctor, and he's diagnosed with cancer stage four. And here's the thing. He had switched earlier from medical insurance to MediShare, where Christians share each other's medical bills. So the question for Jordan and his wife, Jenny, was, is this actually going to work? Our medical bills exceeded $160,000. MediShare members shared all our bills. And it was about more than just the money, too. This is a real community. MediShare is, is a family, a group of people that stick with you through the hardest times of your life. I just don't know how I could have done it without MediShare. It's so worth looking into. There's a reason this is growing so fast. So if you want to find out more, here is a number for you. 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-B-I-B-L-E. Hey, I'm Brant. So there's this guy named Jordan. He's a healthy guy. He's a dad of six, and he works as a guide in Alaska. And he goes to the doctor, true story, he goes to the doctor and he's diagnosed with cancer stage four. And here's the thing. He had switched earlier from medical insurance to MediShare, where Christians share each other's medical bills. So the question for Jordan and his wife, Jenny, was, is this actually going to work? Our medical bills exceeded $160,000. MediShare members shared all our bills. And it was about more than just the money, too. This is a real community. MediShare is, is a family, a group of people that stick with you through the hardest times of your life. I just don't know how I could have done it without MediShare. It's so worth looking into. There's a reason this is growing so fast. So if you want to find out more, here is a number for you, 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-B-I-B-L-E. WROL Boston. You're listening to The Car Doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, or AM 1260 WBIX, or Salem Media, if you're listening online, where you can go to WROLradio.com or any app. You can find us on TuneIn and a variety of things. You can also uh, find past broadcasts. We are having a little trouble with our podcast, though, because for some reason, when we record it, it's coming out a little bit distorted. Mostly just me, though. The calls seem to come out fine. The commercials come out fine. It's mostly just me. So we're working on that a little bit. It's a little bit better last week than it was the week before, but there still seems to be some little problem. And well, We're working on that. Uh, coming up in a about a month or so, we will be, as we are usually, from the AAA Travel Marketplace at Gillette Stadium. You know, you know that stadium where the five-time Super Bowl champions are going to be? 
you know, well, they're not going to be there, but you know, they're going to win the they're going to win the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, the uh, so we're going to be there, and uh, every year we're there, we always have something interesting happen. Uh, last year, our, my IT department forgot to turn on the internet, so we were a little troubled that way. Uh, I think we did it. I think we did it over. I think we did it over the phone, but over over the phone through a better system, and that worked out okay. I think the year before we had a little trouble with a phone line. They hit it on me, uh, but every year, every year there's an adventure. So we, uh, we we like the adventures, I suppose. So we'll we'll be doing that. We'll be doing that again. Uh, that'll be coming up. I think it's uh, beginning of April sometime. Uh, in a couple weeks, uh, the New England Motor Press is going to get together and vote on their favorite vehicles for the New England winter time. So I have that event coming up, and uh, we have uh, well, in a couple weeks, we're going to be talking to Eddie Wood from Wood Brothers Racing. Uh, Eddie's been around for a long time. Wood Brothers has been around forever. And, uh, well, you know, there's that, that race in Florida, the Daytona 500. So we're going to be talking to him a week, a week uh, actually during Speed Week, I think. So uh, so he'll have his car and his driver down there. So Our, uh, my, my wife, who is in the studio right now, said, are we going to Daytona? Well, um, no. <laughs> um, so and uh, and next week we're going to be talking to someone from a website called Car ID. Uh, they're an auto parts website, but they're they're going to give us an idea about what people are buying for their cars, what they're doing for customization of their cars. So we're going to be hearing from them. Our buddy Rick called in. Rick from Boston called in and said, uh, "What do you think is going to happen with the new administration and the auto industry?" And I have no idea. I I am the least political person that you want to talk to about that sort of stuff. Um, you know, based on what I saw at the Detroit Auto Show where the president of Ford and Bill Ford both said we're moving production from Mexico to the United States, um, you know, will we see more of that? Maybe. I don't know. You know, my, you know, uh, our, our Volkswagen, the Volkswagen that's in our family uh, is, you know, you think Volkswagen, you think Germany, no, think Mexico, that's where it's made. In fact, Volkswagen's been building uh, cars in Mexico forever. If you drive a 2016 or 2017 Toyota Tundra, uh, listen up. Toyota's recalling 73,000 of those pickups to repair a problem with their rear bumpers. The problem is rooted in a resin-reinforced bracket. Fiberglass? Plastic? Uh, that supports the corners of the bumper. Uh, Toyota says that if the bumper is hit, those brackets can become damaged without the owner noticing, leaving the bumper unable to support a person's weight. Uh, if someone then steps on the bumper, it can give way, creating the opportunity for a potential injury or just a fall on the ground. Um, Toyota will begin mailing recall notices to Tundra owners mid-February. After receiving these notice, notices, owners will be able to take their trucks to the Toyota dealer who will replace the resin brackets with ones made out of steel. The tread uh, covers of the rear bumper will also be replaced. Both fixes will be carried out free of charge, like all recalls are. Uh, if you have one of these vehicles and have further questions, you can call Toyota uh, or Check, uh, go to toyota.com slash recall or safercar.gov, and you can put in your vehicle identification number. The 800 number for Toyota customer service, 800-331-4331. Um, settlement between Volkswagen and its U.S. franchise dealers over the diesel 
problem has been approved by a uh, federal judge. When we were talking with uh, Brad Scott from Scott Volkswagen last week, I said, I hope that the Volkswagen is going to take care of the dealers. Dealers initially considered uh, launching a class action suit, but apparently um, if you own a diesel dealership, it looks like you will get an average of $1.85 million to each dealer, according to uh, the information that I've read. So um, half of the settlement payment will be made up front, while the rest will be paid in 18 consecutive monthly payments. Of the dealers involved, 99% have already agreed to participate in the settlement. Uh, the total settlement is valued at $1.6 billion, including a $1.2 billion in payments to dealers, as well as $270 million to a provision for prior payments. Um, I think they're going to end up okay. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. I mentioned something about my own car. My own 10-year-old Hyundai Santa Fe is being recalled for rust. That's the one recall I hate most. When it's a mechanical problem, transmission, electronics, it can be fixed, and it's fixed with a new part. When it's rust, and what they're going to do is they're going to clean the undercarriage of the car, and then they're going to spray it with some kind of rust-proofing to prevent further rust, sort of like having a rotted piece of wood, and you spray it with something that prevents wood rot. Well, if the rot's already there, what do you do? And I've seen some of this with Toyota products. Uh, Some of the Toyotas that were rusting, people actually went out, and they went back to the Toyota dealer, and they they sprayed it with rust-proofing. And a few years later, sure enough, the frames actually rusted away because rust happens inside out, outside in. How much can you really do? How much can you really stop it? Well, you can't. So if anything, it's a preventative measure. So we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens with my car. It's going into a new Hyundai dealer, well, relatively new, uh, McGovern Hyundai, which I believe was Bernardi Hyundai, which is now McGovern Hyundai. Somehow they're related. I'm not sure how, but uh, they have. Uh, they will be. They will be uh, trying it out and see what happens. See if it. See if. See if it gets another few years. You know. Remember that. You know. It was at one time, cars were considered old at six or seven years old. Now people are keeping cars ten, eleven. The average car on the road today is eleven plus years old, people are holding on to their cars, and they're holding on to them because they don't rust away as much. How, you know, you used to see cars, you know, fenders rotted out, rocker panels rotted out. You don't really see that as much anymore because the manufacturers do a better job of, of rust-proofing. problem is when something like a frame rusts away, then what do you do? With the Toyota issue, when the frame rusted away, well, in some cases, they put a new frame on the car. So they would literally jack up the body, take the frame out, replace, take all the brake lines and fuel lines and all that stuff off, all the brakes off, put a new frame in, bolt everything all back together, put the differential with the you know brakes if they needed to, you know, and a lot of times to the consumer it might have cost them a little bit of money, maybe you know muffler hangers and brackets that rusted away when it came apart, those weren't covered by the recall, so you might spend a hundred or hundred and fifty dollars, but you ended up with a car on top of a new frame that was never going you were never going to have to worry about rust issues again uh when it's a unibody suspension, well that's a little bit harder to do it's rusted is rusted is not. Can anything be fixed? Sure, with enough time and money, but there's only so much of that. So, I promised we would do trivia. This is probably as good a time for trivia as any. And this trivia question 
comes from, well, Japan, essentially. Back some time ago, one of the car makers had a sales slogan about its obsessive attention to detail. And the sales slogan was, The Relentless Pursuit of Perfection. What car company, and let's put the rules out there now, if you've won trivia in the last couple months, give someone else a chance. Um, Yeah, that seems reasonable. If you've won trivia in the last couple months, give someone else a chance. But the question is, what car company because of its obsessive attention to detail, had a sales slogan called The Relentless Pursuit of Perfection. And I don't know if it was them or not, but Jordan's Furniture did sort of the same thing. They took a marble and rolled it around a couch and because it was a similar thing to one of the other car companies about their pursuit of perfection. So what car company had the sales slogan The Relentless Pursuit of Perfection? If you know the answer, give us a call at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Well, the Jaguar F-Pace, their SUV, is doing pretty well, but Jaguar is not sitting around. They will add a smaller, more affordable utility vehicle, the E-Pace. And there's a spy photo I saw It's uh, where they kind of wrap the whole car in, in weird-looking wrap. And one of the things I noticed when I was at um, either, I think it was at Ford, at the Ford factory, and they had a, uh, a car all in this uh, camouflage wrap. And in some cases, the camouflage wrap was actually had snaps around the outside of it, so they could take it, on, take it off and put it back on again, which I thought was kind of interesting. Most of the time it's done as a, just a vinyl wrap like uh, you would any kind of advertising vehicle. But uh, this new one is going to be based on the same platform as the Range Rover Evoque, it's slightly smaller than the F-Pace compact uh, crossover, powered by Jaguar Land Rover's four-cylinder uh, engine family, which includes gasoline and diesel engines, and several horsepower ratings. Also, the F-Pace, I mean the F-Type, which is their sports car, Jaguar's mid-cycle freshening of the F-Type sports car adds a slew of new technology, including upgraded seats, and a new limited edition model, the 2018 F-Type, due to arrive in the spring, is the first vehicle available with an app developed for GoPro, which creates high-quality video and combines it with real-time driving data. Corvette had something like that without the GoPro, uh, so they had a video camera in the front of the car. Uh, when a driver compares video of the car, perhaps when taking a hot lap at a racetrack or on the street in some other idiotic fashion, um, the rerun app adds such such features as vehicle speed, throttle position, gear position, G-force, brake position, Oh, that, which is actually kind of interesting. So the computer in the car is synced to the video. So as you're watching the video, you can watch in time delay the exact angle of where your foot is on the throttle. So very similar to how race cars work. Pretty interesting technology, really. It can be downloaded to a cell phone and shared instantly on social media. That's the bad side. People are going to do stupid stuff. They're going to say, hey, I took this off ramp at 150 miles an hour. And then somebody's going to try to do it at 160 miles an hour and spin off and go out of control. And you'll read about it in the paper. 
The 2018 F-Type's front fascia and bumper have been uh, redesigned. The grill shape stays the same, which the grill looks great on that car. LED lights have been added. The interior gets new lightweight seats that are slimmer than the previous seats. Also, chrome and aluminum trim have been added. Uh, one special model, the 400 Sport, available for 2018 only, features a supercharged V6 engine. So a V6 engine rated at 400 horsepower, a beefed-up chassis and 20-inch wheels. Jaguar Land Rover has not announced a price yet. Um, U.S. F-Type sales so far have totaled only about 4,000 vehicles, down about 12%. It is a really nice car, though. They did a really, really nice job with that car. And you look at other vehicle manufacturers, well, there's there's a few others aside. Um, even Mitsubishi is kind of finding their way, and Mitsubishi is sort of in a deal with Nissan right now, but it looks like Mitsubishi will debut a compact crossover to be positioned somewhere between the Outlander and the Outlander Sport in March. Uh, the British magazine Autocar says the vehicle may be styled after the XR uh, plug-in concept shown about five years ago in uh, Tokyo. Although nothing has been confirmed, the all-new vehicle is expected to be a natural fit for the booming U.S. crossover market. Okay, trivia. And if you're if you're on hold and you have the right answer, and we'll just we'll we'll assume everyone has the right answer. We have a prize for everyone today. Um, not sure exactly. I I I we have a prize for everyone today. So if you're on hold, Michael, Joe, and George, stay right there. You'll win something. But let's start with Michael first. Michael. Hello. 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 What do you think the answer is? Uh, it is Lexus. It is Lexus. You are absolutely right. It was uh, it was their their uh, the original and the original uh, team, the PR team. Uh, I, I think out of New York went to go visit the factory in Japan and said these people are ridiculously obsessive about, about trying to put this car together, and that so, and that's where it sort of came out. Uh, do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember the first model of Lexus? I. Um was it the LS? Yeah, it was the LS four hundred, which was uh, LS yeah, which was which was quite the car, a beautiful car. Yeah, it it really was, and and uh, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. Those cars, um, those cars were you know when Lexus started getting popular, and they started getting popular because they were they were sort of this you know high end car. Um, there was there was a guy there was a guy in Brooklyn who was taking Toyota Avalons when the Avalons came out. And he was taking all the emblems off of them and the putting, badging, right? yeah, putting putting Lexus badging on them and calling them a limited production Lexus from Japan, which no one ever heard of. And you know, and and he managed to sell them, but he kind of sold them with you know, you know, people said, well, the title says Toyota, and he said, oh no, yeah, no, they had to do that to get them into the United States. But in fact, they were just they were just phony baloney Lexus, phony baloney Avalons, which the Avalons a nice car too. But no, you're absolutely right, Mike. Stay right there, and we will. Uh, Karen will get down your your name and address, and we'll send you out something. Okay. Thank you. All right. Let's talk to Joe just to see what Joe has to say. Joe. Yes. Hello. Hello. Did you have yeah. the answer? Uh, yes, absolutely. Lexus. Lexus. Stay right there. I still right remember, the, yeah. remember the commercial, the car commercial with the marbles going. Oh yeah. And I couldn't. You know, after I said that, I couldn't remember if it was Lexus or Infinity that used that commercial. But but I do. But I do remember either you know Barry Barry or Elliot, one of the Jordan's furniture guys, rolling a marble around a couch though, trying to trying to do the same thing. So. 
so stay right there, Joe. We'll get you something, and finally we'll go over to George. Up, oh, up. Oh, it sounded like it sounded like Joe had a question. Joe, did you have a question still? Up. Oh, oh, George. Hello. Hello. Yes. Do you know the yes, answer? Lexus. Yeah, you are right. Stay right. Stay right there. Yeah. Stay right there. Don't go away. All right. And let's go back to Joe for a second. Joe, did you have a question? Uh, yes, I'm interested in a uh, forest, uh, the uh, six-speed manual, and I understand it has uh, miles per gallon, approximately 26 miles per gallon. But I heard a caller uh, recently uh, complain about his 2015. Right. A Forester SUV, and he, again, that was supposed to get approximately 25, 26 miles per gallon, but he was only getting 18. Is, is, is that something, now, uh, it's, of course, it's 2017 model now, so mm. that may not apply now, but do you know any any uh, um, feedback about that? I haven't, you know, the last Forester I drove, the fuel economy was right on the money. It was, it was right about, you know, where I recalled it to be. Um, uh, you know, and I, I have I have not driven one with a manual transmission. I've driven I've driven one with the, you know all the new Subaru automatic transmissions, the CVT, uh, which is a continually variable transmission. Um, you know, I seem to remember in the in the mid in the mid twenties somewhere. So, yeah, I don't I don't I don't remember that. And I and I have a coworker who has an Outback, so a little bit. You know, a little bit more aerodynamic, I suppose. And she and she records. She's she's in the she's in the uh, banking business, so she records every everything every time she fills up with her car. And and I know she's getting pretty good fuel economy with it. And on long trips, she's getting she's getting you know up around thirty. So. I haven't heard I haven't heard any problems at all. I'm oh, not good. and that's why my suggestion to the call from last week that had the fuel economy issue was um, you know, I think it's time to get someone from Subaru involved and do a, a, a true mileage test and see what the real fuel economy is and if the fuel economy is when tested under, you know, a little bit more strict circumstances, which which is somewhat subjective, even, but you know, but done properly, is the mileage close? Is it not close at all? You know, you know, how do you how do you look at it? So, uh, you know, even in all the fuel economy numbers, when you look at those types of things, you say, well, what do you, you know, what, you know, there, there's an average, and then there's a different number, and uh, you know, where, you know, where do you go? Well, if it's an average, and the average is you know, if the average is way off from what you're really getting, well, there's there's something wrong. You know, there's a problem. So, so at, at that point, you just you have to look at it and say, okay, what are we going to do? All right. Well, I feel good about that now. Yeah. That, uh, my concerns are uh, taken care of, and uh, I will pursue my my um, you know test drive and, and go yeah. from there. Yeah, I, I I would. I, I like I said, the Forester the Forester is well, it's sort of the. Uh, I think it's the official natural bird of Vermont or something. You, that's all you seem to see up in Vermont is uh, is Subaru. So yeah, all the northern New England states really yeah. they sell really big. Well, and, and 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 they should too because you think about them, they're pretty practical. Um, they're they're fairly economical. You can fold down the seats and you carry a bunch of stuff in them. You can drive in pretty poor weather without any problems. Uh, they're pretty easy to service. There's Subaru dealers everywhere, and aftermarket is pretty good at being able to uh, 
you know, fix the cars when they need to be fixed. So there's there's a lot to be said about driving a Subaru and not not having a problem. So, um, yeah. you know, Subaru over over the years have they had problems? Yeah, some of the old ones used to rust away pretty quickly. Um, up till 2012, some of the models had cylinder head gasket problems. But people who have Subarus tend to love Subarus. So you know, I if you're if you're thinking about shopping and you're looking for that small sort of small SUV wagon type, I would certainly look at a Forester. Very good. Uh, I think I'm sold on it now. All right. All right. Thanks All right. Good All right. Take care. Bye bye now. 617-770-3030. Let's talk to Mike. Mike. Hey, how you doing, Doc? Good. How are you? A quick comment before I get into my main topic. All right. Subaru. Subaru is a new Saab. <laughs> Put it that way. Subaru uh, is a new what? Saab. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um. When Subaru really started to market vehicles 10 or 15 years ago, that's exactly sort of the weird culty customer they were looking at. Exactly. Yeah, and, and they readily admitted it. They said, you know, we want, we want to get the, the same people who love Saabs, we want them to love Subarus the same way. I agree. Yep. Hey, let me jump into my quick question. Is, uh, I want your opinion on something. Uh, I'm in the in the industry, and in certainly in the industry, and, and in, a, in the electronic way, is mm-hmm. that, here's my comment. In two or three years, 75% of the people in this country will not buy new cars, they'll only lease them. And my rationale behind that is the car is much like a cell phone, that within three years, the electronics will be outdated in the car, and you'll be basically forced obsolescence, and you'll have to buy a new car. Therefore, leasing will become the major way people buy cars going into the future. That's my my guess. Just wanted your feedback on that. Well, as my as, you know what, as my wife takes out her Motorola Razor phone, you know, from the year two thousand, uh, she may disagree with you, but um, but I did say seventy five percent. you did say You did say seventy five percent. And that's not really true. Now, she has she has a semi smartphone now. It's still, but but she's resisting the whole smartphone push. Uh, but but anyway, she, um, I, you know, I think as I, I had this conversation with two different people. One of them one of them was one of them was a, we were talking about um, technology that goes into cars today and at what point do you push so much whether it's emission savings technology whatever it is into a car today you know everything has a cost involved with it so you add more you add more to it whether it's keeping the air clean or whatever the case is you add the the price of the car goes up you add more infotainment and other technology into the vehicle as well as safety features like lane departure warning lane centering you know blind spot monitoring all that stuff adds to the cost of the vehicle like you said you're in the electronics end of the automotive business so you kind of know where that's going but all of that adds cost to the vehicle so at some point you get to the point where um, you know, it used to be, I think, $32,000 used to trigger the luxury tax not that many years ago. Now $32,000 seems to be more of an average price that people are paying for cars. So at some point, where does the consumer, you know, cry uncle and say, hey, look, um, I'm sorry, uh, I I can't pay $45,000 for, um, you know, a four-door sedan to get my family back and forth to school and work and go to the grocery store. So leasing becomes a really uh, 
interesting alternative for that because all of a sudden now you're getting into a car that you're paying you know, 50 or 70% the payments that you would normally to own the car. And at the end of three years, you go back and you hand them the keys and you get a new one. So, you you know, you could be right. The only other thing that I see that could change that is where your cell phone may literally be the brains for a lot of the features in the car. So you get into the car and it's sort of like, you know, back in the early 80s, you could buy an economy car, and it had a radio prep package, and it was basically four speakers and an antenna. And then you would decide what kind of radio you wanted to put in it, whether you wanted to put the factory radio or something aftermarket. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see something that where you get into your car and you dock your phone into your car, and the car just you know does everything the phone does. And then in a year, when your phone becomes obsolete, you get a new phone, you dock that phone in, and all of a sudden your cars all of a sudden had this upgrade because your phone's upgraded. That might be the future. You're right. It could be. Then again, you got to think, how does a company, how do these companies make money doing that? Mm. And I think the over-the-air updates right now seem to be the major way. But sometimes, for example, the I don't want to type a show, the computers in the headed unit are just not powerful mm. enough to go forward with these. So maybe sometime over a cup of coffee and I can talk about it offline. But it's interesting what's going on. I'm watching it like an eagle. Yeah. I think there's going to be some big changes. There there really is because it's, and, you know, the consumer, I I was sitting down talking with the engineer from Volvo two weeks ago at the Detroit Auto Show, and we were talking about safety in cars, and he said, he looked at me, he said, "People, people, we don't put this stuff in the cars because we think it's the right thing to do in some aspects of the car. He said, we're putting it in the car because we know that people want it. And if we don't integrate it into our vehicles and try to do it as safe as possible, people are going to be stupid and they're going to all of a sudden prop their phone up on the dash and they're going to try to do things on their phone rather than have it integrated into the vehicle. So I think that the manufacturers are headed in that direction. But it is, it is a, it's an interesting question because vehicle manufacturers also have to look at making the cars lighter and more fuel efficient um, and have the technology that the consumer wants. And, you know, the idea of a, a car that you go out and it has, you know, has four tires and you turn the key and you listen to an AM radio, nobody's buying those cars. Yeah. I think I reminded you uh, about a year ago that we're pulling 300 pounds of copper wire out of every single car in 2018 and 19 and replacing with Ethernet which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no. That's happening as we speak right now. No, the 2018 BMW will be 200 or 300 pounds lighter just because of the copper wire we're pulling out of it. You know, even even here in the radio station, we have new control boards that we're all getting used to. And the old control board was a combination of analog and digital. And you looked under the console, and there was literally, you know, 10 miles worth of wire crisscross back and forth now you look under the console and there's nothing there because it's all it's all ethernet connections or uh sort of these bluetooth modules that plug into each other so uh the technology is everywhere you got it well I'll look forward to having a cup of coffee all right all right Thanks. take care bye-bye bye-bye 617 we ought to do that someday i've that's something i've always wanted to do was go to a coffee shop somewhere on a on a Saturday morning go to a coffee shop on a Saturday morning and just chit chat you know invite invite 
listeners there. And I don't know if anybody would ever show up. You know, but, uh, but you know, we can buy the coffee and just uh, kind of have a roundtable discussion with people and see what they're talking about. I don't know. It might be kind of an interesting show. Uh, could be could be fun. I don't know. Maybe. I promised I would talk about the car that got me here today, which was kind of the basis of the trivia question that I had. And it is the Lexus ES300H. So that's the midsize Lexus, sort of Camry-ish, if you will, uh, powered by a hybrid drivetrain. It's a midsize four-door luxury sedan powered by a gasoline electric drivetrain. Like all Lexus models, the interior is well-crafted, generally well-thought-out. My only issue is the clever but somewhat clumsy and distracting control for the infotainment system. Um, it has a volume knob, it has a tuning knob, but it has this sort of mouse thing, which still, my boss has a Lexus and a BMW. He has a BMW 3 Series and has a Lexus IS. And I don't know which one he drives more. Uh, and both of them were actually kind of, uh, you know, they're not fancy cars. He, uh, he bought, I think they were both demos and didn't pay a lot more than I paid for our Volkswagen when we bought it. Uh, but I said to him something about, okay, you're driving down the road and you're listening to, you know, 70s on 7, and then you want to switch over and you want to listen to the news on the news station. How many clicks does it take you to do that? And he said at least three. So at least three clicks where he has to look at the screen and figure out what he wants to do to make it all work. So, again, it's sort of a clumsy, a little distracting. Uh, I like the idea it actually has a volume knob. I like the idea it actually has a tuner knob. Um, still, it's a little, little, little bit clumsy. The front seats are wide and supportive. The rear seats allow two adults to ride in comfort, three in a pinch. Plenty of leg room in the back seat, too. This is, uh, this is uh, Avalon-like rear seat room. Uh, plenty of room back there. On the road, the 2.5-liter, 200-horsepower hybrid engine delivers a nice balance of performance, smooth, quiet ride, and fuel economy. It is a quiet car out on the road. During my road test, I've been averaging 38, 39 miles per gallon. Uh, as an average, as like all hybrids, they do a little bit better around town than they do out in the highway. Most of my driving this week has been highway driving. And, you know, 38, 39 miles per gallon is pretty good. Uh, safety is addressed with a full complement of airbags. There's airbags everywhere, as well as the latest safety technology, such as smart cruise control, brake assist, lane departure, and correction or lane centering. It's funny. I th- I've heard that term a couple times in the last few weeks. And I suspect it, we always used to call it lane departure correction. And I think they're calling it lane centering now because it may not fully correct. So I think a lawyer got involved somewhere. I could be wrong. Uh, Parking assist, blind spot monitors, and cross-traffic alert. The bottom line is the Lexus ES300H should satisfy both luxury and green car buyers, delivering a win on both counts. So pretty good vehicle. And certainly a vehicle when it's when it's topped up and full of gas, I think it has a 550 mile range. So if you were looking for a long distance cruiser, if you were you felt like taking a ride to Washington D.C. or you know down south, and you were looking for a commuter car, maybe you're going to go to you. You said I've had enough of the. Well, we haven't had a lot of snow, but we've had some cold, and it's been kind of nasty out from time to time. And you said, "Hey, I'm going to take I'm going to go to Florida for the Daytona 500," or You'd have to rush down for the 24 hours of Rolex. But um, 
And you said, hey, I want to do it, and you could do it pretty easily on three tanks of gas with this. So pretty efficient car to be on the road with. Why don't we take another break? Pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. Phone lines are absolutely open right now at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you this special message. Salem Media Group Boston's discount shopping site is bigger than ever. Introducing big item number one. $3,000 worth of veneers from Marina Bay Dental for just $1,500. Call Pat Ryan at 617-691-2521. Hear her testimonial on just how great her veneers are from Dr. Jenny Chong at Marina Bay Dental. Get your half-price veneers at any of our discount shopping pages. W-E-Z-E, W-R-O-L, or am1260thebuzz.com. Come and experience Norwood's newest Irish pub and restaurant. It's Emmett's of Norwood, where they feature a luscious prime rib special every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, along with all your home-cooked Irish and American comfort food favorites for brunch, lunch, and dinner. Join us on the weekends for a traditional Irish breakfast. And all musicians are welcome to stop in on Sundays from noon to 3 p.m. for open session. Emmett's of Norwood on Route 1 in Norwood. Get more details at emmettsofnorwood.com. Honda Cars of Boston is Greater Boston's neighborhood Honda dealer with over 800 new Hondas available to choose from. Just five minutes from Boston on Route 99 in Everett, our beautiful new showroom makes your Honda Cars of Boston experience even better. Visit online at hondacarsofboston.com and see all of our tremendous purchase, lease, finance, and certified pre-owned specials. Honda Cars of Boston on Route 99 in Everett is the place for great buys from the Honda guys. Give them a call at 1-800-65-HONDA. Hey, I'm Brant. So there's this guy named Jordan. He's a healthy guy. He's a dad of six, and he works as a guide in Alaska. And he goes to the doctor, true story, he goes to the doctor, and he's diagnosed with cancer stage four. And here's the thing. He had switched earlier from medical insurance to MediShare, where Christians share each other's medical bills. So the question for Jordan and his wife, Jenny, was, is this actually going to work? Our medical bills exceeded $160,000. MediShare members shared all our bills. And it was about more than just the money, too. This is a real community. MediShare is, is a family, a group of people that stick with you through the hardest times of your life. I just don't know how I could have done it without MediShare. It's so worth looking into. There's a reason this is growing so fast. So if you want to find out more, here is a number for you. 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-BIBLE. W-R-O-L Boston. Now, let's get back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WRL, the Spirit of Boston, or AM 1260 WBIX, the Business Buzz, one or the other. Um, we are still on Sunday nights at 9, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. just making sure. Haven't listened for a couple of weeks, so you never know. Well, the happiest place on earth, Uh-oh. Walmart, <laughs> is going to start selling cars. 
Walmart Stores Incorporated, the nation's largest retailer, is jumping into car sales through partnerships with dealership groups, including AutoNation, the nation's largest new vehicle retailer. Uh, CarSaver, an online auto retail platform, will launch the program on April 1st at about 25 Walmart superstores in four markets. They're not going to do it out here yet. It's going to be in Houston, Dallas, Phoenix, and Oklahoma City. Uh, Alley Financial, which used to be General Motors Credit, but which spun off to be Ally, Ally, A-L-L-Y. Uh, Financial is the program, program's preferred lender. CarSaver digital platform allows car shoppers to select, finance, insure a vehicle through its website on a touch screen kiosk, backed up by bilingual auto advisors. Available by phone, staffers at CarSaver centers set up um, inside the Walmart and then do all the, you know, next to the checkout lane. So when you buy in like, a, you know, 12 pack of Cheetos or something, you can go buy a car. Um, so, so, so it says it says here they'll they'll be alongside other services such as the Vision Center and nail salons and the Subway or whatever else is in a Walmart, and there'll be car buying programs at the Walmart. I mean, I guess you know you can buy a cell phone there, you can be on their plans and so forth, and so consumers will be able to select new or used or certified pre-owned vehicles, apply for financing, auto insurance at the kiosk at the Car Saver Center on their mobile device via Car Saver's website or by calling an eight hundred number. Car Saver will then connect customers with local certified dealers and schedule an appointment to visit the dealership. If a shopper doesn't contact the dealership, an auto advisor reconnects with that shopper. Upon making the sale, the dealership pays CarSaver a success fee of $350. In most states, no sale, no payment to CarSaver. Depending on the state law, payments may come in the form of a subscription fee. Kind of an interesting concept on, uh, on that side. And um, on there, there's kind of an obscure TV site called Crackle, which I don't fully understand. We have Crackle. Is it still there? Well, we have we have two TVs in our house uh, that were both bought at the same. T- well, I guess they're in our house. Both bought at the same time. One's a little bigger than the other, mm-hmm. and. They both had crackle, and now only one has crackle, and I don't know why one went away. But there was something I used to like to watch on crackle, which was Jerry Seinfeld had this program called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And uh, next month it actually sh- uh, shifts over from to uh, Netflix from Sony's crackle platform. And maybe that's why crackle's not on my TV anymore because it's not a Sony TV. The... Um, Series features Seinfeld, Seinfeld conducting high-spirit interviews with performers in a cool car, usually a cool car. I, once it was a, a, a Ford station wagon, but it was a country squire. But uh, When I first started thinking about comedians and cars getting coffee, the entire Netflix business model consisted of mailing out DVDs and envelopes. I love that we are now joining together. Um, both at very different points. Okay, that's the news. Really, this is just an excuse to recall some favorite moments from the series. Uh, some of the things he liked, he had uh, he had Howard Stern in his car, and uh, he asked about Stern's hair, and he says, uh, he says, I don't even know what it looks like. Is it Slash or Rhea Perlman? Uh, the one where Seinfeld takes funny man Patton Oswalt out in the DeLorean um he said, this one died a few minutes into the trip. Later, Seinfeld, uh, 
had a backup. Uh, he said uh, Robert Klein went out in a, in a car. Uh, I think uh, I think he actually went out with the he went out with the president or vice president or something once. I don't know, but anyway, they did they did a few things. So um, I don't know. I, I kind of like the show. I think it's kind of funny, and the premise is pretty simple. He goes and picks up somebody famous in a car, and it could be kind of a cool, weird, could be something exotic like a Ferrari. It could be something else, but he gets in it, and he, they go to a coffee shop somewhere. And I, I've learned I've learned two things watching it. Jay Leno never had coffee ever until he went out with Jerry Seinfeld, and then he said, he, it was disgusting, and I never. Why do people drink this? And then the other one was when he went out with Howard Stern. Howard Stern didn't order coffee; he ordered just a cup of hot water, and he just sipped hot water with him. So apparently, he's not a coffee drinker either. So, and then other people want a cappuccino and espresso and other stuff. So, yeah. So, let's go to Mike. Mike. Good morning, John. Good morning. And good morning to Mrs. Paul as well. See, you, so you got a hello, too. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, real quick, I believe it was the president that uh, he did do one of those. Yeah, in the yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, they're kind of fun. Um, I actually calling you about safety, the um, availability of safety on, uh, on cars, but you had a Lexus today. Uh, Lexus Infinity, do you have, in comparison, anything to say? You know, I know Lexus is trying to push the performance piece with their cars coming out now. Any general statements do you find comparing Lexus vehicles, Infinity vehicles? And I know there's the whole range of Yeah, I mean, and, that, and, that's, and, and Lexus is trying to push performance because people consider them boring. So that's part of the, that's part of the problem. You know, people look at people look at you know Lexus cars and go, they're nice enough, but they're sort. Of, and that's why Lexus is trying to push this sort of you know idea that we're a performance car, we're a stylish car. Um, you know, Infinity. You know, the biggest part of Infinity's problem is people forget who they are. You know, Infinity makes Infinity makes a great car. I I have a, a coworker who who bought an Infinity. I don't think the quality with Infinity is quite as good as Lexus or Acura, um, but Infinity does something a little bit different. They pile a ton of technology in their cars, and this this guy. One of the reasons he liked it so much was it has all this levels of technology in it which makes it which makes the car to him truly fascinating so um i sort of i you know if i had the money to buy one or the other uh and if i said if i looked at the two cars and said you know is it you know would i prefer a lexus you know suv over a over a infinity suv would i prefer a lexus big sedan over an infinity big sedan i think i would um but i think it's just personal preference i just sort of like i just sort of like their cars a little bit better um i liked a little bit more of the there is a little bit more subdued styling although um the grill on the front of this es is ginormous and the new ls 500 which they're coming out with has these uh, has this sort of uh I don't know, checkerboard grill might not be the right explanation, but apparently it has something like 9,000 unique surfaces to it or some ridiculous amount. So, um, or 9,000 surfaces, uh, not unique. But uh, so 
you know, some of the styling, I like some of it. I don't. The Infinity styling, I just haven't really warmed up to. Are they good cars? The last time I drove one, um, I was taking it down the road, and, uh, you know, I was, I was out on the highway cruising along at, we'll just say, the speed limit. And, um, and, I, and I, afterwards I said, I forgot how good a cars these were. So Yeah. 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 Um, I know Lexus is doing the F-Series, you know, trying yeah. to grade those. And may I just ask your ES300H, where, how did you find the acceleration when you were going, let's say, getting on the, uh, on the highway from uh, the ramp? Well, it's, you- it's okay. It's not a hot rod by any means. It's it's okay. only two hundred horsepower, so it's about the equivalent of a good four cylinder engine, um, and a little bit more because it does have that little bit of extra torque supplied by the electric motor. So it's okay, uh, but if you're looking for like you know V eight horsepower, it's it isn't that. But it's but it's certainly you know a couple times where I got out and I wanted to get in the middle lane and someone was zipping up doing eighty and I needed to get in front of them to because, you know, I wanted to get in there before the gap closed. Plenty of power for that. Okay. The, the main reason I called was, um, I believe in the past, you've when you've reviewed cars and or talked about them, that the, the technology, the safety pieces, they're not all created equal. You know, some mm-hmm. work better than others in your experience kind of thing. Um, you know, I know when you talk about Infinity, they've got the blind spot monitor rear cross-traffic alert with braking, so it'll actually stop you right. if they're still coming. And they talk about uh, forward-looking cameras that go ahead of a, mm-hmm. the car in front of you to, to give you warning that the one in front of there is stopping. Is there some place where you can go that there's a comparison between, let's say, blind spot monitor and a Lexus or an Infiniti or a Ford or, and, you know, in, or a Hyundai or whatever, and be able to compare those how well they're working not, the year. Not, I understand yeah, probably I'm, changed. Yeah, I'm sure they're probably somewhere. I haven't seen it yet, though. That's a that's a really good point because, um, for instance, we did some testing at AAA, and I'll use we as sort of the global we. It was um, an engineering team that I work with, uh, not locally but in, in the AAA national office, and they went out and they tested automatic braking systems in five or six different models. And how they tested, they went out to the uh, Auto Club Speedway out in California, and they had this foam remote control car. So it was a full size, looked like an SUV, small SUV, but it was all made out of foam blocks with the remote control like little kid's car underneath it. And what they would do is they'd like literally run into this car with, you know, a car with automatic braking. And they got really good at putting the car back together uh, because it would, it would literally pop apart when you'd hit it. And some cars would actually bring the car to a com- the, the, the car that ran into it, some would bring it to a complete stop. Others would just sort of mitigate the crash and, you know, apply a lot more brake than you would in a more controlled manner. So some just slowed the cars down, some fully stopped the cars. Um, you know, and what, you know, what we learned from this was all of these automatic braking systems are not created equal. And the same thing with the cross-traffic alert. Depending on where they put the sensors can really determine how well the system's going to work when it needs to. So yeah. a lot of them use the same sensor. A lot of them use the same, you know, they buy them from Siemens or somebody else, put the sensors in, and, you know, they're, they're about as, they're as good as they're going to get. Yeah. You know, just just out of curiosity, the car that you drove, you said, had all the safety features. It would be curious to find out, does that car come to a full stop, 
or does it only mitigate? You know, would you yeah, know that sure? Without 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 running into something, I hope I never have to test it. But, <laughs> I understand. But or, my, or you go to Motor yeah, Week there on the TV yeah, and yeah. they're their blow-up car that they've yeah, gotten, and, yeah. and you try it out there. Yeah. No, but I mean, just the idea. Gee, I know you know, and sometimes it's not as evident because they use similar terminology. Right. And you're not sure, is it going to stop or is it going to slow Well, slow well it, it, it's, only... it's funny. Yeah. Volvo, Volvo was one of the first ones to have automatic braking where, you know, if somebody pulled out of a parking space and you were driving down the row of the parking lot, the car would come to a stop. And I decided that I, I didn't have enough nerve to do that, so I put a plastic trash can out and, <laughs> you know, and, and drove right into it. And I'm like, well, that didn't work. But, yeah, so, so I'm like, well... You know, suppose it was, you know, suppose it was a kid, you know, somebody on a bicycle, is it going to work? Well, part of it has to do with, you know, the, the object of uh, somebody I know had exactly, took exactly the same car. Um, so it wasn't even the similar model, exactly the same car, and did exactly the same thing and had their boss back out of a parking space, and the car came to a complete stop. So the mass of the vehicle makes a difference. Um, I'm not 100% sold on any of this technology yet, only because I was driving a Chrysler, which automatically, which has full 100% braking, and there was a car in front of me that was taking a corner, and I was going you know, 25 miles an hour maybe, and the car in front of me went to take a right-hand turn at a four-way intersection, and it got about a third of the way around the corner, and it stopped. And I don't know if it stopped because somebody was in the street or whatever the case is. And what you and I would normally do is just swerve a little left, go around the back of the car, and keep on going. What the car did is slammed on the brakes. Okay. Well, I I wasn't prepared for that, and fortunately the person behind me was... So, you know, my car came to a stop, the person behind me came to a stop, where in reality what I would have really done is just, you know, zigged a little left and back right and just gone around the car. So the systems aren't 100% yet, um, but they're getting better and better all the time. But as far as a comparison between, you know, is the system in the, you know, let's use an example, is the system in the Lexus any better than the system in the Toyota, which costs $10,000 less? I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't know, but the, you know, it would be it would be an interesting long term experiment to try to figure it out. Yeah, and you know, extrapolating what you just said, I could maybe see in the future where people, after the accidents occurred, well, my car was supposed to stop. You know, they're thinking that they've got all the safety features and maybe not as attentive as they should be. Is which you well, know, and that and that and that is the big fear that anyone in the safety business looks at is. You know, at what point are people going to stop paying attention? And that, and that is, you know, when you come to like self-driving vehicles, that's the big, that middle step of self-driving vehicles where the car sort of does some stuff and where the car drives itself. The worst step is the one where you have to hover over the steering wheel and be paying attention all the time when the car doesn't. And you know what's going to happen is people aren't going to be paying attention, and when the car fails to react, and you fail to react, well, you're going to run into each other. So that's no good either. So. Yeah, I mean, what what Volvo has said when if they ever come out with a self driving vehicle, what Volvo has said is if anything happens, Volvo will take the liability, which um, you know time will tell if that's really true. 
Yeah, I just want to see, is the car going to be in the courtroom when they're litigating? Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny. I actually stole this from a TV show when I was talking to the Volvo guy about it, and he said, you know, the, the decision becomes, you know, do you run into the car with the three people in it, or do you run into the car with the one person in it? You know, who makes that decision? You know, the, does how does the car make the decision? And I looked at him and it said, or does the car just drive itself into a tree and doesn't inflict injury on anybody except the driver of the Volvo? And he looked huh. at me and goes, "Huh, we didn't think of that one." Yeah, yeah. Just so, yeah, yeah. And and I only I only thought of it because I saw it on TV one day on some fictitious TV show. So, <laughs> all right, John. All right, take care. All right, bye bye. Let's go real quick to Robert. Robert. Morning, John. How you doing? Good. How are you? Not too bad. I just uh, want to give you my two cents on you talking about having uh, coffee with some yep. of your yep. yeah. Would you show up? Great idea. Would I you show up? up? All right. Yeah. Uh, if you could move it around different parts of the eastern mass, I mean, you're down on the south shore, and I'm up on the north shore. You know, if it was possible to, between the radio station and your show, uh, you know, kind of promote it. What? Now, uh, what's uh, now? Where are you up on the north shore? Uh, way up. I'm close to the New Hampshire border, the Nashville area. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I was trying to think where I was. Where was I? Some place that I went by some sort of world famous donut shop. Oh. It might have been Famous Donuts. I don't know. Something yeah, like that. There is a yeah. top donut in the Lowell area. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was something like that. But it was, I, I have to admit, fantastic donuts. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, this is why I'm, like I said, I'd join you for breakfast. <laughs> hey, a, there you go. You could have a 10-hour show. <laughs> I don't, no, I couldn't do that because Paul Sullivan would kick me out. So yeah, well, well, what he would say is you could talk all you want until 10 o'clock, and then yeah, yeah. yeah you could, then you're talking to yourself afterwards. Yeah, okay. so. After recording. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks. Time. Thanks. Be Take good. care. That makes sense, right, Paul? Yeah. yeah. I can talk all I want till ten, right? I still get paid. Yeah, you don't get well. <laughs> so what's going on? I'm reading your column. Oh, that's a bunch of nonsense. No, it no, isn't. It is. yeah. hey, hello. Hello. Am I on here? You are. Okay. Yeah. Didn't know if I could yeah. hear myself. No, you you heard the phone hang up. Oh. Still working on the board, are we? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's good. Uh, but I didn't have—I didn't know if you happen to notice in my column whether it mentioned that stuff that I gave you from last week. Oh, I didn't get that yeah, part yet, yeah, but I will. Like question three or something. So. Well, it hasn't been cold enough. I know. I know. Enough. I, I, I haven't I, I've been dead yet. I, but do you? Do but you, my wife was. Oh, you should see the smile on her face. Someone's thinking about me. I said, a lot of people think about you. Yeah, you should. So thank you. you. You could have saved it till uh, for that another two weeks. Day. Could have been a Valentine's Day present. It was the right color bucket. Yeah, it's about the same thing I gave her last year. <laughs> <laughs> she loved it. <laughs> now you know for you know we, we've been kind of lucky, but it was uh, just uh, a couple years ago mm-hmm. yesterday mm-hmm. that it started to snow and seemed like it didn't stop till St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yep. Everybody's like, oh, there's no snow. We've been so lucky, and all of a sudden it snowed and snowed well, and you know and people have short memories because people have been saying oh it's gonna be a, a nice uh, easy winter i said will you slow down yeah, yeah we, february yeah february's the snowiest month yeah and yeah. the coldest and the coldest yeah and fortunately the shortest but i'm thinking but, of going to daytona or driving uh, getting a car that you only have to fill up three times to get yeah, down there yeah yeah sure yeah how's your lexus uh it's it's a it's a very nice car it's it is a, a nice great car. car hey i had a question about that what time is it i don't even know hold on Two minutes, okay. Right. Um, you 
drive a lot of cars because you review them. That's right? correct. How does, and you don't have to answer this, so you can say I beg the fifth or whatever, or I plead the fifth or whatever. Um, how does that work? Do people approach you or do you say, I really would like to drive a Lexus this week? Hello, Mr. Lexus, can you give me a... No, people through a network um, approach me okay. and say, we would like you to drive a Lexus this week. Mm-hmm. And or for a couple days or whatever the case is. So that's sort of how it works. Other parts of the country, we have kind of a unique setup here in New England. Other parts of the country, you go to the manufacturer and say, I would like to drive a Lexus. But the problem with that system is everybody wants to drive the high-end supercars and nobody wants to drive the Mitsubishi Mirage, which I think every car deserves a fair shot, Mm -hmm. whether it's a fantastic car or a less than fantastic car. So I kind of like the system we have where, you know, one time I could be driving a luxury car, I could be driving a sports car, I could be driving, you know, the cheapest car on the planet at $15,000. And I'm fine with that because I want to be able to experience all of them. Well, I love that feature of the show that, uh, you know, the the car that drove me here today. I, I like that. And yeah. um, so how... I suppose I really need to reword that, the car that I drove here today, rather than the car that drove me here today. But, you well, know, the future's coming. So. You know, I, I yeah. always um, criticize people for ending um, sentences with uh, preposition. So I said, you know, you don't do that. You don't end a sentence with a preposition. So um, the person said, okay, and ended the same sentence and just put idiot <laughs> on the end of it. Well, I will tell you. I will tell you a quick story in the time we have left. You better hurry because Nat King Cole is. I know his fingers are just whirring away. I I wrote a I wrote a story once that I was submitting for an for an award for uh, something, and uh, I let somebody. I let one of my coworkers read it who was not. She was an English major. Was about all she was, and she said, "I really like the story, but do you really want to start that second paragraph with a preposition?" Which I said. (laughs) I don't know. Do I? Well, you know what? Uh, you know who Mark Knopfler is, the guitarist? Yeah, he yeah. said, you learn all the rules and then you break them. That shows you're a pro. So there you there, go. There you go. All right. Till next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt. Drive safely. Be good to your car. The very best in Irish music with the Irish Hip Parade coming up next with Paul Sullivan. See you all next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>